0: This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. I'm your host, Norman B. Coming up later in the show, a conversation with a legendary singer-songwriter, the one, the only, Reckless Eric. His new album is titled Leisure Land, and we're going to talk about that And, of course, a few other topics, like, why is Eric thinking of moving out of the USA? Tracks from Reckless Eric's new album, and you can eavesdrop on our conversation. First, a frequent guest on the program is our good friend, Dr. Benoit Kampmark. He lectures at RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. He also writes for a number of publications, including Counterpunch, and we uh, like to put the link up on the Life Elsewhere site. Benoit, welcome back to Life Elsewhere. Pleasure being with you, Norman. Okay, I want to talk about the passing of two, and I'm going to use the word controversial, because I think both Daniel Ellsberg and Theodore Kaczynski, very different men and, and controversial for very different reasons, but I'm not going to say there's a link so much as the sort of outrage about both of these gentlemen does need, I think, to be just looked at, just briefly, just have a, a Benoit camp mark, <laughs> um, little take on. Let's start with Ellsberg, who died at the age of 92. What should we know, and, and why was Ellsberg so controversial?
1: Well, yes, I think many of your listeners may be familiar that uh, Daniel Ellsberg was uh, um, very highly placed in uh, U.S. government circles. He was a defense analyst. He worked for the RAND Corporation in the late 1950s. He was actually engaged in what were called war gaming scenarios dealing with nuclear weapons. So we're talking about rather serious and rather dangerous uh, subject matter. But he's most known, um, of course, for disclosing the contents of what were called the Pentagon Papers, Uh, in the early 1970s, uh, essentially a 7,000-plus page report that featured the deepening involvement of the United States in Vietnam and demonstrated the very different narrative to what was being told to the public in terms of the U.S. involvement in South Vietnam and Indochina more broadly. So he was stricken with his conscience, so he was a Cold War warrior. He was very much in favor of the U.S. efforts initially to roll back communism, but on seeing this uh, total disparity of reality between the reports and what was being mentioned by the various presidential administrations, he decided to disclose these contents. That led famously to a a court case uh, uh, between the Nixon administration, and of course the the, uh, New York Times and the Washington Post got involved as well. and it was held in the Supreme Court that these contents of the Pentagon Papers could be published in the public interest more broadly, freedom of speech and so on. Ellsberg is known because he's, he was such a fundamental um, figure who might have also been prosecuted successfully under the Espionage Act and his case failed. The case against him failed, not necessarily because the prosecution ever had a chance to put it properly, but because the judge throughout the case before it went to the jury, um, because uh, the judge found that there had, had been illegal wiretapping of uh, Ellsberg's communications by the FBI. Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office um, had been burgled by the so-called White House plumbers, and the judge himself had been asked by John Ehrlichman, one of uh, Nixon's top aides, whether he wanted the FBI position, or the position of FBI director. So the case collapsed. But it's a very fitting thing to remember with Ellsberg that his legacy should be also connected with what we see with Julian Assange, because Ellsberg was a very notable star witness for Assange and the extradition proceedings in 2020, and argues that uh, Assange is performing a very similar function to what he did in the 1970s with the Pentagon Papers.
0: Let's go on to the second uh, gentleman that passed away just recently. Within days of Ellsberg, he was 81 when he passed, and again, a very controversial figure for, for very different reasons. Theodore Kaczynski, known as the Unibomber. What can you tell us about his legacy?
1: Yes, well, Theodore Kaczynski, or Ted Kaczynski, as sometimes known, was uh, uh, and is very controversial in, in the, because he, he illustrates a couple of strands of thinking in, in US culture, if you like. One is the technological strand. Um, uh, and and the other uh, is the, in a sense, the anti-technological strand too, which is quite interesting. You know, Ted Kaczynski himself was a brilliant mathematician uh, who found himself at Harvard in the late nineteen fifties and early sixties. But during the course of his time at Harvard, he encountered certain psychological experiments that may or may not have. And they certainly turned him, you know, into a very disconsolate figure. You know, these psychological experiments were conducted by a notorious psychologist by the name of Henry A. Murray, who had been performing uh, psychological tests, if you like, when he was working for the Office of Strategic Assessments, um, or Strategic Services, rather the forerunner to the CIA. And he created a test known as the Multiform Assessments of Personality Development Among Gifted College Men. was quite a brutal test that involved demeaning and um, attacking the ego of these young undergraduates of which Kaczynski was one. These days, it would be undoubtedly seen as a breach of the so-called Nuremberg Code, which uh, medical practitioners should abide by in terms of human experimentation. It was clear that Kaczynski was not familiar or aware in terms of what was involved with the experiments. He did not give informed personal consent. So that's that part of that background with Kaczynski. He became an anti-technological advocate. He railed against what he called the Industrial Society uh, in a famous, uh, well, in an infamous manifesto, Industrial Society and its Future. And he very much venerates uh, the rural life, um, the sort of the pre-technological, pre-industrial life. He himself lived in a cabin in Montana for many years, uh, lived off the grid quite literally way is of course most known perhaps to many individuals is that he did, he known as the Unabomber, he was responsible for the deaths of three people uh, and injuring 23 others. Um, and he was famous of course for the so-called package bomb. Um, and what was interesting about uh, you know, his particular methods I suppose is that they were meant to target people in power. Some of them were so-called part of the industrial society. Many of them were not like unfortunate innocence if you like in the context of these attacks. So Kaczynski, is, um, and one of the things I found so pertinent to his legacy is that his, cri- his critique of technology remains very out, you know, very salient today. Yes. When you, can, when you consider surveillance capitalism, when you consider the role of social media platforms, data mining, when you consider the way data is monetized so extensively, if you read his manifesto, his 35,000-word manifesto against the Industrial Society, he argues that technology imprisons. Um, and oppresses the human so human society more broadly. And there is only one way to deal with it, which is to confront it head on. There's no reform in it. There's no such thing as regulation. So in that, he, he really does leave us a lot of food for thought when it comes to the way we deal with our devices today and the way uh, Silicon Valley exerts such a huge pull in our lives.
0: One can only wonder, Benoit, what he would make of AI, which is in the news, it seems, on every day. Well... There's something else in the news every day recently. We're going to get to that. My guest is Benoit Campmark. He lectures at RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. He also writes for Counterpunch, and we call upon Benoit to give us a little sort of overview of things that we find questioning. And we just talked about Daniel Ellsberg, who died at 92. Theodore Kaczynski died at 81. Do we know, just very quickly, do we know that whilst he was incarcerated, whether studies were done, whether he was subjected to studies about his mental state?
1: Yes, there's a lot of literature that has been produced uh, subsequently uh, about the role played, for example, by the psychological experiments. Um, That was certainly, and it's been been an issue of dispute as to what role um, these experiments did to his well-being and whether it radicalized him, you know, as it were, against uh, the so-called industrial society. Um, At the trial itself, uh, this was certainly an issue that came up because the defense team, along with uh, his um, family, his brother, for example, was certainly one who tried to use the mental uh, or mental health argument, the psychological argument, you know, psychopathological reasons uh, to um, more or less say that he wasn't in command of his functions when he was um, uh, creating and sending those, uh, those um, bombs. But he really resented that he's because he's thought that by being declared insane, essentially uh, he would, um, his credentials as a revolutionary if you like his credentials as a thinker would be severely undermined so i think from that perspective it, it's it, this is an unresolved question it'll always be an open question as to what influenced the other but it's important to note that yes he, he certainly did concede to his uh, attorneys that he had been affected and had not given consent to the various uh, murray experiments and so on but it is also important to note that he was very clear and lucid about his views when it came to the effects of technology. So I think that should be acknowledged, too.
0: Yes, I, I, I'm sure that you must think like I do. And it's it's too bad that we didn't have the opportunity to find out more, to do more investigation about Theodore Kaczynski. But thank you for, for catching us up on both those gentlemen. I'd now like to focus on something which the news broke last weekend and everybody and their uncle was reporting on it non-stop here in america and i'm i'm quite sure it was happening in australia i know it was in the uk and that is what happened in russia which leads me to ask you this the russian propaganda machine can we believe anything that comes out, not just out of Putin's mouth, but anything
1: that comes out of Russia? I mean, is it just all just completely propaganda? Well, it's always been a question about the information that comes out of uh, Russia, of course. And this stems back to all its stages of evolution in society, be it um, Tsarist Russia, be it, of course, uh, the Soviet Union, where a lot of care and attention was given to crafting narratives when, before being sent out, and they have been masters of propaganda. But I think it's also worthwhile noting that you can't necessarily trust the uh, analysis coming from various Western countries either, you know, in this, because it, it is, it remains very much a difficult situation to assess from the outside. Uh, but I, I think it is, from what we can see happen, and I think it's very interesting to note the reactions in uh, be it the United States, be it the UK, Australia as well, and be it in, in Europe, European circles, that there's always this question, was, was Putin's power undermined by this, whatever you want to call it? No one quite knows what it is. Was it a mutiny? Was it insurrection by Prigozhin? Was it a, an attempt uh, uh, attempted coup? Uh, according to Prigozhin, it wasn't anything of the sort. But I think one of the things I, I think one should note is that these sorts of things are very personal matters. And if you look at the personality of the men involved and the individuals, the so-called Wagner group and so on, it's just a dangerous thing when you have mercenaries operating, you know, under your command or or uh, under your payments uh, scheme, if you like, because mercenaries do tend to have a habit of turning on you at certain points. And this certainly seemed to be the case with uh, Prigozhin who has known uh, Putin since St. Petersburg days, um, and was known as his caterer for, for a while. Yes. Um, but he, was, uh, he made a lot of, of his money in due course by uh, his connections with not just uh, you know, funding the Wagner Group, you know, the mercenary group, but of course by securing various access to minerals and deposits in Africa, which is where the Wagner Group operates extensively. They also operate in Latin America. They operate in um, essentially several continents. Um, And they do have a certain famed reputation for brutality. Um, But they are, and they've of course operated in Ukraine. But what happened is that with Prigozhin, what happened is that uh, he he felt that the autonomy of his group was being undermined, was being threatened by the formal Russian army, if you like. There were threats that he needed to come under their control. He rebelled against this. And some people also argue that it may have been even more personal. Uh, as to a property deal supposedly for his daughter that went sour, ah. so it's not so we're not really sure about um you know the circumstances of this but but certainly from the outside it it, it we would be um, foolish not to accept that uh, it was a bit of a rattle for for putin and we don't know of course whether you know this whether this will now set the trend for putin's uh, decline certainly not overthrow immediately but certainly right. a decline because he doesn't You know, it doesn't look good for your power and your your hold on power if you've got armed, um, you know, uh, rather violent individuals getting on the motorway heading to Moscow and the seat of power. It doesn't look particularly good for you in that case. No,
0: no, absolutely. Very quickly, I've just had a thought about this, that would this have been an inspiration for radical militia type groups in this country proud boys or these other patriot front or whatever they're called all these different could be an inspiration to these people
1: well possibly although i do think that um the i think the narrative there's just a bit different because they tend yeah. to operate in the context of there's always this uh, anti-central current in U.S. politics, you know, the uh, against the Washington center, the center of power. So that's always lurking in U.S. politics, but so um, that can always be fed off there, uh, and and it's evident, of course, by the Trump presidency and so on, and the ongoing yeah. debate there. So I think it's just worth considering that there are more domestic considerations there to consider that are specific to the U.S. Yes.
0: Let's quickly wrap. With have you got any updates on Julian Assange? What is going on?
1: Yes, so far the the sad reality is that he's he's gone through the legal ringer yet again. Um, so at this particular point, uh, earlier um, in fact this month, a single judge uh, in a, a mere three page judgment, in a very very limited in terms of what it revealed, dismissing all the uh, all the allegations or grounds of appeal. By his defense team about for example the political nature of the trial the fact that he is actually a publisher and a journalist and this should be taken seriously and that this is a threat to publishing generally all of these arguments were submitted and the fact that the judgments had been essentially unsafe um, and that he should not be extradited all of these were rejected by the high court on appeal that decision is now being actually appealed in turn uh, and we await the outcome of the whether you know of the two judge panel um, listening or hearing that case, so the defense lawyers for Assange have submitted a 150-page uh, uh, appeal on this, and it's very comprehensive. It's very impressive, but unfortunately, the, the the entire system seems so utterly compromised and oblivious to the political nature of what's happening to Assange. Which just it, it staggers me that that's, that this process is still ongoing, but it also suggests how desperate the United States is to actually nab this man. Yes. As
0: always, it is an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for the updates. I know that if anything sort of breaks about Assange or in Russia, we will call upon you, Benoit, to to give us your take on whatever's going on. Benoit Campmark has been my guest. He lectures at RMIT University in Melbourne, Australia. He also writes for Counterpunch. The link will be up at lifeelsewhere.co. Benoit, thank you so very much for joining us once again at Life Elsewhere.
1: My pleasure, Norman. Anytime. A big thank you
0: to Dr. Benoit Campmark. Next up, Get ready to listen as two Englishmen have a chinwag. My guest is the inimitable Reckless Eric. Eric's got a new LP. The title? Leisureland. This cut is called Tipping Point. Stand by. My conversation with Reckless Eric is coming up. that piece is the tipping point this is from a gentleman that ah gosh it's been it's been a couple of years since we last were met in person and chatted and I gotta tell you every time I speak to this man I I I just I I just wish we could talk more and more because he's just a great conversationalist just a, a really nice fella Eric Golden, better known to everybody, of course, as Reckless Eric. Eric, welcome back to my program, Life Elsewhere. Well,
2: I'm pleased to be here. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> life anywhere. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, I, was it really two years ago? Did we speak during the pandemic? We did.
0: We did at one time. We spoke during the pandemic. But we yeah. haven't been in person. Not since I was in
2: Australia
0: yeah yeah you've been in australia yeah and i was in australia not at the same time as you but anyway it's been some time so so lovely to see you again are you doing well because i know you had some health issues just like i had a
2: terrible time i I nearly died i mean it was a bit (laughs) uh yeah it was a bit strange really
1: yeah
2: Uh, i mean i i didn't realize it at the time i i sort of like thought it was all a bit of a you know, it was a bit, of, you know, it was yeah. exciting. Like I had COVID, and it was awful, and it went on and on. You know, I got it right at the beginning. I was a real COVID trendsetter. Ah. but with COVID, I was I was ahead of the pack there. You know, and uh, yeah, it wasn't that bad i mean i knew people who had it really bad uh, i got a friend who nearly died from ah, it you know? yeah i mean yeah. it was in a terrible state and they didn't think he'd make it but he did yeah and then like I, I was very pleased that i wasn't that bad but it was grim and it went on and i, I like I, I i you know what it was like you couldn't get the diagnosis all this kind of thing you know yeah. and, They said I hadn't got it, my symptoms didn't match up. Then they changed the symptoms and my symptoms did match up. And by that time I'd gone, I'd got better and got it again or it never went away. They said it lasts for two weeks. For me, it lasted two bloody months, yes. and then I had a heart attack. I know, yes, because my my lungs were all messed up, you know. Right. So yeah. yeah, So I ended up in the hospital, and I almost died. Oh no, yeah. But I I didn't know I was dying. I'm going like um, they're asking me if I want to see a chaplain, and I'm going yes. No, no, yeah. <laughs> that's the last thing I need. I said more than that, and uh, I'm trying to get them to tell Amy, you know, my wife that I'm in the I'm okay, and she wasn't allowed in, you know, so she didn't know what was going on. I'm going, Could you just tell her I'm okay, and they won't go and do it? And I figured out, oh, they what? didn't actually know
0: what a scary time, Eric.
2: Well, I didn't, I were not scared at all, I was having a great time, I was high as a kite on some sort yeah, of, of, course, like, of you know, whatever they yeah. gave me, yeah. I'm like, they're plugging stuff in, and it was exciting, it was nothing that happened <laughs> for weeks, months, and I was like, oh, God, this is so, you know, this is, this is, this is living, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it was awful for everyone else, but I'm going, well, hey, this yeah. is great, something like, like some sort of distraction, from the tedium of the lockdown
0: well thankfully here you are looking fit and fine and one of the things one of the good things to come out of this whole lockdown and covid and whatever it gave you some time from what i understand to produce and record a new album it's called now this is where you and i are going to have a little bit of a a problem for our American listeners because I'm going to say Leisureland and I know that right across the... So (laughs) am I. I know you are.
2: They can say Leisureland if they want to. (laughs) I'm not stopping them. Okay,
0: all right then. just got that sorted out then. Yes. So you've got a new album called Leisureland. I just started off by playing a cut called The Tipping Point. This is one of a few... Instrumentals on this album, which I have to say, Eric, took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting Eric to come up with instrumentals, but then, as I'm listening to it, and I have been for the last couple of weeks, I thought, why should I be surprised? Why should I be so sort of bemused by the fact that Eric is doing instrumentals?
2: Well, there's a there's a thing. I have a, a friend who's a drummer. He's called Chris Butler. He's in a he had a band once. Called The Waitresses. Actually, he was the guitar player in that band, but he's one of those stick-making people that can play everything. But one of his favorite things to say in the studios, ha, another great track ruined by a vocal. (laughs) Uh, Yes. you know, like there's this thing. you get the track up and it all sounds great and then you put the vocal in and it hides all your favourite bits. Like there's this person singing all over your face, which is not how you're supposed to look at it, you know. Yes. So no. the, the Tipping Point was actually a song. I'm not sure if it was called The Tipping Point, but it was a song and it wasn't a very good song, but the track sounded so great to me that I just kind of, I thought, it's all really interesting when you take the vocal off. So that became like, it became one of the instrumentals. I have done instrumentals before. It's just that no one noticed because the, the albums that have got the instrumentals on are mostly records that no one's really, Listen to all that much but this one got a bit more attention but there um, is
0: let me just ask you this because I think my ears are not lying to me but three quarters of the way in on the tipping yeah. point that we just played it sounded like there's some treated vocals or there you... is a bit
2: of vocal yes. well yes. actually it was it was almost I think it was kind of an accident that something got left in and ended ah. up going through the rotary cabinet, which is a homemade affair that sits in another room in the house and is always mic'd up and ready to go. Yes, yeah.
0: Yes. yes.
2: And, uh, yes, and, and part of the vocal ended up going through it with something else. I can't remember I never know what I've done. I mean I I do this sort of stuff and like if I ever want to figure out what I did it's detective work. Yes. I have no idea sometimes what's gone on because I just I do it. I play this I'm in the room where I do it all at the moment. I play it. I play this room. I play the stuff in it. I play the studio. I kind of just work with it until it all works. But yeah, a bit of the vocal survived and ended up in the echo chamber or it ended up in the echo chamber and it ended up in the, in the, uh, in the rotary cabinet.
0: It works. And the whole album works, Eric. And I, there's a number of things I want to talk about. One it sounds to me like you had fun doing this. It sounds to me, with the different tracks and and listening to this very carefully, I get the takeaway that that you were in a different space when you put this album together.
2: I, well, I'd had the the near death experience, right. and that makes you look at life differently. Yeah. So there's me kind of looking at my life really and also there was the thing of the pandemic and normally i'm going off everywhere i'm I'm, i was a lot of touring and of course that all stopped and that i never ended never went anywhere anymore yes so so i had this time where uh because i didn't go anywhere i think i invented a new i invented my own place Yes. yes, I, I had this idea of this town called Standing Water. <laughs> yeah. I always thought I was thought it'd be a great name for a town. I was uh, yeah, where they 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 just built a new Asbo supermarket. I always said if I invented a town, you know, for some piece of writing or something, it like, would have the Asbo supermarket. In England, you have the Asda supermarket. A S A but uh asbo in england is asbo it stands for antisocial behaviour order <laughs> um, which is for people who've um, upset them. <laughs> yes yeah for people who've been indulging in an- anti-social behaviour
0: right let's talk about two important things about this album number 1 your your name in the album Reckless Eric. I mean you're Reckless Eric and you've been known over the years. You've sort yeah. of you've kind of walked away from Reckless Eric. You did the Leg Bright yeah. Combo. I, yeah.
2: I kind of realized that it was my brand name, really. Yes. It's the yeah. name that I work under, so that's what I do, you know. Yes. And yes. then
0: then, of course, we come to the name, the title of the album, Leisure Land from my American. Uh, listeners and leisureland oh, they're going to have
2: on. to get used to it they're going to, have to stumble <laughs> over it and say Leisure Leisure Land. Land, right
0: yeah yeah why the title leisureland
2: um i was spending a lot of time in cromer in norfolk um which is a place that i love it's a it's a kind of like it's one of the more obscure seaside towns or it was, it's getting to be a bit more of a destination for people now, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not, um, but I've always loved that place. It's it's kind of, it's workaday, it was always slightly run down. Uh, it's on the North Sea coast. It's very cold there and it's it's kind of has this charm it has it has it has arcades one of the uh, you know amusement arcades which are just full of machines that go ping bang bow and whoosh and, and all this and like lot of flashing lights and, st- and
0: now eric you're talking about uh, chroma and you're talking about something which is very english i think we can just like switch back to to Leisure land And uh, from my take on it This is a very English Yeah Recording I mean it's I, you I want to yeah. do that
2: Because I've done, I did an album called America Yes Which was small a Small m Capital E-R-I-C Small a Yes I thought that was quite cool Because I always said that That was That album was like Ostensibly about America But it was actually about me Yes You know yeah. Which, uh, uh, yeah, anyway, and then I did uh, an album called Construction, Time and Demolition, which had a kind of English element, it, it, but a lot of American, like my American experience, because I've lived in America for 12 years. Yes. Then I did Transience, which was really kind of American. I mean, it was. there's even a song called California on it. Uh, And it's kind of, you know, I mean, they are very much an English English man in America. Yes. But I really, I didn't want to carry on down that road. I didn't want to become a transplant. And actually, uh, we are actually working on leaving America.
0: Oh, you really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Going back to England?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, like, if if the republicans win the election in america it's going to be awful if they don't win it's probably going to be awful because they're not going to they're not going to take that lying down certain elements
0: yes gosh we could go off on a tangent here i Aaron. mean i am
2: i am old uh, i'm old enough that i'm thinking you know, I I don't know. I, I'm 69. And I'm going to be 70 next year. So I, I don't know. I feel like I don't know how long I got, yeah. and I don't want to live, live like that. Yeah. I mean, more importantly, I I have grandchildren. I have I have a family in England, and I you know I'm missing my grandchildren sure. growing.
0: Totally understand. You
2: know, so I I become more English is what yes. I was going to say, right. and it was a conscious decision to to make an album that that was much more English.
0: Let's take a musical interlude. What I'd like you to do is choose a cut from the album that we can play, and then when we Return. I, I want to talk about just the process for you because I know it's changed over the years, but putting Leisure Land together. So what should we hear as cut number two?
2: Well, you should probably hear Southern Rock. Southern Rock, yes, the first but track you, on the album, yes. It kind of bridges the gap between England and America.
0: Here it is. This is Southern Rock. This is Reckless Eric from his brand-new album called Leisure Land. just joining us my guest is Reckless Eric he has a brand new album which I I gotta say I've I've been listening to this album here in my studio for what the last couple of weeks or so and there's a lot going on here that cut was called Southern Rock so in the introduction there you said this is sort of bridging the gap between America and England
2: well it's kind of like it's funny because like when I was a kid I, I you know you don't you're not born with all this information I mean I had no idea where everything was i mean in the first place, I didn't have an idea that there wasn't anywhere else yes. you don't yeah yes. you don't, when you're when you're tiny and like you 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 kind of grow into the world and and everything is a realization yeah. And more and more. When I was eleven, they there was a there was a thing at, at school where the 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 teachers sort of had a, a a blackboard that had the a map of the world painted on it, and it was all uh, and gave everybody a city that they had to place somewhere on this map. And then he did, and he did it country by country, and he got to America. And he gave me New York, and I had to come out to the front and 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 put a, a chalk mark where where I thought New York was. Well, I was pretty sure that New York must be the capital of America, right? So I marched out yeah, sure. full confidence and put a big dot where Kansas is. <laughs> it was obviously going to be New York's got to be the capital, and. If it's the capital, it's probably in the middle. Of course, you know, yeah. Makes I, no, I yeah. yeah, I mean all these places, and then the romance of of kind of rock and roll and long distance information get me Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, you know, yeah. I helped me find a party, trying to get in touch with me, and Tommy James later on going left, Atlanta, Georgia, Interstate sixty five, heading out to California, Route you know, sixty six. And Route 66, which, like, you know, I had no idea about where, but, but even though you get the instructions, you know, on this thing, <laughs> I had no idea where anything was. And it's in that song, you know. Yes,
0: yeah. yeah. Like,
2: uh, this, yeah, it took me a long time to 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 get it. I'm going, oh, this California thing, they're talking about California girls, I wonder where it is. I don't think I even did wonder where it was. It right. didn't occur to me that it was actually anywhere, because... From my position, I could I could relate to the romance, but not to the actuality.
0: Race, of course. Yes.
1: Also, do, you,
0: do you think this is an English thing, or is it just for anybody that's not travelled? Or I, because it, I, I had the same thing. I, I experienced but, exactly the same thing
2: when I when I first came to America. It was what 1978 and then in 1979 i toured america coast to coast and i really did meet people who thought that they go they thought england was london yes and they go oh yeah i've got a second cousin over
0: there. yes oh my god yes yes you
2: probably know him yes yes oh god yes people had no idea they you know and and yeah, you know, much later in the in the nineties, I lived in France, and it was like when I first moved there. Well, when I first moved there, it was still the eighties, uh, and I was like a Martian. It was like you know the man who fell to Earth. I I was this like they'd never met a person who. Well, this was deep country this was like in the French countryside they had never met an English person or a person who didn't come from where they came from Mm, yes honestly it was like being some I I, I thought people were going to start prodding me you know to see what I was made of (laughs) let's
0: talk about putting this album together because if you as you already said this was at a different time a different space you had near-death experience so just walk me through it Eric if you wouldn't mind just the the beginnings and just how you put this album together because I I, once again I've just got to add for my listeners just in listening to this very seriously it is a different album from what I've heard from Eric before it's such an enjoyable album but but just give me the, the the sort of the walkthrough on how this all, all came came together. Uh, I got. I thought uh, I should
2: write some songs and like, but I I spend a lot of time recording, and and it when I'm not recording to any purpose, I do recording to no purpose whatsoever. Yes. Like a sketchbook, or it's like you know random noise, anything, and I start putting stuff together and seeing what what comes up yes uh, and and then I don't do it like you know i I go away and write some songs, and then I come in and record them. I tend to do some recording, see what starts to come together, and then I write some songs, maybe, yeah, yes, but it's an ongoing process but i could only really write songs if like i mean the last albums the last the last three albums i really wrote all the songs in my car and i wrote them while i was going from one place to another you know i'd be driving from louisville kentucky down to memphis and it would take me all day because i'd have to stop I'd have to pull off and write some stuff in my notebook and uh, if I was you know I might be in England driving from Manchester to Bristol or something and have to stop write some stuff and 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 it would be because stuff would occur to me as as I'm seeing stuff going on road signs you know yeah. buildings Aeroplanes, like fields, anything like stuff starts to occur to you. It makes your mind work, and then you can write stuff. Um, but when you're sitting at home, it's kind of this different experience. How the hell do you like? Here I am. You know, I'm. I can't. I can't do that kind of thing. Amy, my wife, you know who? of Course you know, Amy Rigby. She. She kind of goes into a room and writes a song and she starts at the beginning and she keeps writing it until she gets to the end and it might might take her half an hour, it might take her two hours, it might take her four hours. But that's how she writes and she she has this stuff in her head that seems to come out. But I'm not like that. I don't know. So I had to kind of, during the pandemic, I had to find another way of doing this, but the first song I actually wrote for it is called "The Old Versailles," and it oh. came from, uh, it came from an email that a friend of mine sent, who said, "You know, I know you were born in New Haven. Well, I I I I was I was there, and I was I was outside this." pub called the engineer and, and 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 did your dad work at the parker pen company because this pub was next to the parker pen company yeah On the other side of the Parker Pen Company is the house I was born in. But she sent me this email and really, and then she said, and I was waiting to get on a boat to go to France. And then she went down to the ferry terminal, which was a bit further down the road and got a boat to France. And some guy decided he needed to take her up to the captain's deck. And she said, I think he thought he'd get laid, but he didn't. And she wrote this whole thing, she's an American woman. I've known her for years. She's called Monica Sparrow. Nice name. Yeah, she's completely lovely. And uh, I wrote this song. I just wrote her email, really, and I sent it to her and said, I've just written this song, it's your email.
0: Let me ask you something, Eric, because yes. I I I know that you enjoy making Artwork, And I'm just wondering if you still are doing that, because I've seen some of your artwork and, and particularly some of these smaller pieces that you do. And listening to your album made me think of some of those pieces that I saw in your home one time. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's I'm not saying there's an actual connection, but it does seem to me you were describing how you you're traveling around and just coming up with different phrases and words and things that you're yeah. observing. And that's uh, not unlike your artwork.
2: Yeah. Um, it's all the same thing. It's like the medium changes. It can be it can be words, it can be noise, sounds, it can be paint or it can be it can really be anything with me, you know. Yeah. I, I, but it all it all seems to come out the same. It all seems to relate, yeah.
0: Let's play another cut. You just talked about the old Versailles, you said that's the first track that you wrote. Do you want to play that or do you want to hear something else?
2: Oh, I think you should play that. You could slot that in somewhere.
0: Okay, let's put it in right now then. It's the old Versailles. This is from Leisureland or Leisureland as Eric and I say. It's
2: not Leisure Land.
0: <laughs> it's We're <Leisure> Land.
2: <laughs> gonna force the Americans. To <laughs> This
0: is life elsewhere. Old Versailles is the title of that one. It's cut seven from Reckless Eric's new album, a most enjoyable album called Leisure Land. So you've got this album out now. Well, it's not out, is it? When is it? When is it actually released? It's coming out soon, right? August the 20th. Okay, right. So we're a little bit ahead of it. But when you put an album out, and you've been doing this now for a few years,
2: 116 100 and years.
0: yeah, yeah, just about that, yeah.
2: So, the successful years, yes, is you always have to say successful when it's show business, of course,
0: yes. yes. Has it changed for you the sort of like the, the feeling of putting an album out, just the maybe the anxiety or the nervousness or the euphoria, any of uh-huh. those, any of those emotions? Is it different well, for you?
2: This, this. This time, I mean, like the last two albums have come out on, on our own record label, and, you know, we have a publicist and they do a few things, but this is with a record label called Tapeta Records in uh, from Germany. Ah, okay. And they are absolutely wonderful. They do all this stuff and they say, now, You've got to make a video. Can you do that? And um, we need to do this. And uh, you're doing these. And I'm doing so many interviews. I forgot I was doing you. I thought I was doing... Like I thought, we were doing this later this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. so,
0: well, we meant. Let me just say this before you go any further. I want to let everybody know, and maybe you're going to mention this anyway. But you have a video for inside the majestic, and I. I uh, and
2: there's another one now. Yeah. That was that was ages ago. Oh,
0: okay.
2: That was <laughs> okay. ago. Okay. God, ah. you're behind the curve here. Ah. No, um, the new one is standing water. Okay, all right. And, okay, and that's the the yeah, that's the latest. One, I'm probably about to make another one, you know, for the next track that comes because they, you know, you do singles off the album, which yeah. is a very exciting idea. I mean, I never did that before. Well, I did it when I was young, you know, but <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, yeah, but, yeah. See, uh, I've got to ask you this, Eric, because we're not going to have a lot of time here. But I, we've talked about you and I have talked about this before, going back in time to the to the days of whole wide world. I just wonder for you now, obviously, you it's something you're very proud of. And and so you should be. And everybody knows the the song yeah. by heart. How much does it? I'm not going to say bothers you, but is that a sort of a legacy that you in some respects, just have to deal with and do people request uh, it?
2: Well, no, there's, there's 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 two things. If you go yeah. through, if you, like, as a child, you know, you want to grow up and be a pop star or something. I yeah. don't know. I mean, so it's kind of like every boy's dream, really. I mean... I think it's very sad that someone would go, yeah, but but that's not me. That's <laughs> that's that's. Uh, but come on, you Christ! Other people don't get that. They don't. I mean, I come with baggage. I'm not kind of some like I'd love to be a new artist and go. Here's my here's my album. It's it's all buzzes and squeaks and scrapes. Well, I'd love to do a record like that, but people wouldn't wouldn't maybe let me, but if I did as a new artist, I could, it, I would have such a struggle. I mean, I know people, younger, young people who who struggle to get their stuff heard and to get their thing out there. I come with baggage yes. and I, I think it would be great to not come with that baggage, but if it's baggage, it's, it's designer luggage. It's, what a... it's I'm very lucky. Yeah. You know, OK, if if the if the if the price of that is that I have to acknowledge my 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 past and, you know, I I. I don't have a problem with that, but I don't want to do nostalgia. Hey, do you remember the seventies when everything was great and we were all young and we didn't have, you know, we didn't we weren't tubby, we didn't have double chins, and we had all our hair, and (laughs) you know, and so on and so on. It's kind of I don't want to do that, but I, I I I don't mind playing tunes from then but i don't want the focus of it to be on that because i still carry on i I don't exist in a
0: terrific answer a really good answer before we wrap i want to ask you about just the the instrumentation i don't mean the instrumental so much as just that it sounds to me like that you've got a lot you're playing a lot of different instruments it's not just you yeah. on guitar, but I can hear synthesizer. I can hear, I think, drum machines on there as well. I can hear there all there are. Of...
2: There are, there are kind of my collection of boss and over drum machines, yeah, 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 yeah. The, 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 the guy, the head, the, the, the main the boss at Tapeta T- T- Records, he said. Gegangen. Are you using an Ace tone uh, an Ace tone rhythm Ace drum machine? Yeah. Uh,
0: how did you know that? And he
2: said I have the same one.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so take us out Eric. It's been an absolute delight talking to you as always. Uh, you know I'm going to just say that I think we should do this more often. We haven't done this for some time. I've
2: missed you.
0: I've missed you, man. Before we get together in person, let's just maybe do some chats on Zoom and just catch up a little bit more. Let's play one more cut to take us out. What should we hear? Um, we should hear standing water. Standing water it is. Okay. Standing water from Leisureland from Mr. Reckless Eric. Please give my love... And a big hug to your just charming wife, Amy. And I will see you as soon as I possibly can in person. We've got I gotta get up to upstate New York and see you.
2: Yes. All right, I'll see you soon. And thanks Thank for you. having. The town of standing water celebrates the coming of the
0: To Reckless Eric, details about his new album are up at lifeelsewhere.co. Thank you for listening, and do let me know what you think of my show. My email address comes up in the closing credits. Till next time, be well, be safe, and you know it makes sense. Be nice. Bye bye. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind the scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O.